The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, last week we began this series together on the book of James, and James has a way of speaking that is very, very unique um, when you compare it especially to the other uh, biblical authors. James is intense. Um, James actually speaks from a place of regret, and James is actually very, very confrontational. And so consequently, consequently, James is very, very concerned about what it is that faith does, about how it is that faith actually lives, because James says that there is no practical benefit to just believing something without doing something. That knowing the right things about marriage aren't going to make your marriage better. That knowing all the right things about parenting, that is somehow not going to, that's not going to somehow make you a better parent. That simply knowing about what it is that Jesus teaches and knowing what it is that the scriptures teach, just knowing those things will not help us, James says. And just as James is very, very specific about what it is that he says, He's also very specific about who he is speaking to. Now, we saw this last week as well because James, in the very beginning of his letter, makes it clear that he is speaking to other followers of Jesus. Now, here's why this is so important because if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, right, you're not a church person, you're not really a religious person, then see, I have some good news for you today because you get to be here today, you can come back next week, and you get to hear us just talk to ourselves for a couple of weeks. You are in no way obligated to actually do any of these things because James says these are very, very specific instructions for people who are followers of Jesus. And so if that's not you, Right, then you're welcome, you can come, you can play along, right? but you are in no way obligated to do any of these things. Um, and if you come for the next couple of weeks and you hear some things that are useful or helpful to you, then you, should, you can certainly um, start doing these things on your own. right? I mean, you do not have to be a professional to do any of this stuff. You can just go home and actually do it. Because what James is going to tell us, what we're going to discover over these next several weeks, is that it really is application that makes all the difference. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus, um, what we're going to hear James say, what you're going to hear James say, if you're not a follower, is really optional for you. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, these are things that we are supposed to do. Now, the reason why I kind of make a big deal out of all that is because um, somewhere along the way, right, and I don't know exactly how or when this happened, but um, because I'm a professional Christian, right, because I'm a professional Christian, I will take responsibility for all pastors of all time. But somewhere along the way, the church kind of got confused about all of this, and the church began to believe that somehow all of the rules that are in here are actually for everybody. And see, when that happens, right, when that happens, um, well-meaning people, well-meaning people, what they do is they open up the Bible and they say, oh, look what the Bible says about X, right? And then they look at you. They look at their friends, they look at their family, they look at their neighbors, they look at people that they work with, and you don't even claim to be a follower of Jesus. You don't even claim to believe the words of Jesus. And they look at you through the lens of, well, this is what the Bible says you should do, and so consequently, you begin to feel judged, don't you? Well, of course you do. Right? And how, how crazy is that? Because you don't even claim to be a follower of Jesus. You don't claim to be, believe the words of Jesus. And see, when we, as the church, when we get this mixed up, 
then people who are not followers of Jesus, they end up feeling very, very judged. And it's really kind of absurd if you actually stop and think about it for a moment. In fact, one of the things that you're going to learn today, in fact, this might be the most useful thing for you today, I, I don't know, but one of the things you're going to discover today is that the scriptures actually teach, right? The New Testament actually says, it says that those who are on the inside, right? Those of us who are insiders, who, who are followers of Jesus, those of us who believe that the Bible is true, we are a part of church and we follow Jesus, insiders are not supposed to judge outsiders, that in fact doing that would be the same thing as me trying to go and start making rules for all of your kids, right? It doesn't make any sense. I don't make rules for your kids because your kids are not my kids. In fact, one of the things that we discover through the scriptures is that all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God, he only gives his rules to those people that he already has a relationship with. And so, just as it would be absurd for me to start making rules for your kids, it's also absurd for insiders to expect outsiders to follow all these rules. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm certainly glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here as you get to listen to us for a couple of weeks. But you are in no way obligated to do any of these things. You're not accountable to me, certainly, or to any of us. Um, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, these are things that you and I, that we are supposed to do. And today, in James' letter, we're going to look at a very interesting section of his letter where James makes to all of us, as followers of Jesus, he makes a very, very incredible promise. Take out your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1, which if you're using one of those Bibles on the seat back in front of you or behind you, you can find on page 1,880. Now James chapter 1, we're going to begin reading today at verse 22, and James starts off this section of his letter by saying this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, when James actually wrote these words, um, there were no Bibles, right? People did not have, you know, personal copies of the Scripture. And so the only way for someone to actually know what it is that the Scripture taught or what it said was to actually go someplace and listen to it. So these people in James' day, they were very, very accustomed to actually going someplace and listening to somebody else teach the Scripture, now, for us, in our world today, um, we would probably change one of these words, and we would probably say this, do not merely read the word, right, and so deceive yourself. And this is what James is, is kind of trying to get us to think about today. He says, don't trick yourself into thinking that just hearing it or just reading it is going to actually make any difference. If you think hearing it, James would say, if you think reading it makes the difference, then you are deceiving yourself. And see, this is actually a really big deal for those of us who have been in church or we've been around church for a long time because there is a tendency in every single one of us to think, okay, um, because I was in the room, right? I'm a better person. Because I went to small group, I'm a better person. Because I went to Bible study, I am a better person. Because I went to church for three weeks in a row, in the summertime even, I am a better person. Right? And it's true. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true. It is great to be in small group. It is great to be in church. It's great to be in Bible study. But just reading it, James would say, just hearing it, James would say, is not going to make the difference, because just hearing and reading isn't going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. James says, watch out. 
If that's the way that you're thinking, watch out. You're going to deceive yourself. You're going to say, I was in church. I was in church. I was at Bible study. I was in small group. And so James says, do not think that that is what makes the difference. To which we might say, okay, James, then what is it that actually makes the difference? And James says, well, I'm glad you asked. Do what it says. James tells us it's not enough to listen. Right? It's not enough for us to just simply hear. It's not enough for us to be convicted even. Right? Because for some of us, especially depending on our background and how it is that we grew up, right, there's something that's true, isn't it? That when somebody like me stands up here and I say things in a way where it's really, really convicting for you, that for many of us we can actually begin to think that the whole purpose of actually going to church is so that I can feel bad about myself. In fact, that somehow feeling bad about myself actually makes me closer to God, right? And so we say things like, oh yeah, I, t- I went to church today and it was great. And why? Why was it so great? Well, I went to church today and I felt horrible about myself. And so not only did I get credit for being in church, I got extra credit from God because I felt terrible about myself while I was there. And James says, listen, if that's what you're thinking, you're deceiving yourself. Where in the world did you get that idea from? The goal, James would say, isn't to feel bad about yourself. The goal isn't to just hear. The goal isn't to think I should. James says, no, 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 you actually need to do something. The goal is to do something with what you've heard. And so James continues in verse 23, and he says this. He says, anyone, right, anyone, so that would be you, that would be me, anyone, James says, Who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. See, this is now what James is saying. This is the illustration he's trying to give to us. He's saying anyone who simply goes and listens to Scripture, right, to truth being taught and does not do anything with it, James is saying, listen, that is the same thing as waking up in the morning and looking at yourself in the mirror and going, okay, that is horrible, right? That is absolutely horrible, right? And then walking out of the bathroom and not doing anything about what you saw. It's like getting dressed, going to work, going to small group, going to church, going to wherever it is that you need to go without doing anything because you forgot what you actually saw in the mirror. And so James says, when you look in the Scripture, when you actually hear what the Scripture is teaching and you don't do anything with what you hear, it's like seeing something and not doing something, which is something that none of us would ever dare do when it comes to a real mirror, is it? Why? Because a mirror always requires a response, doesn't it? In fact, I know, the truth is, I know something about every single one of you today. I know exactly how long you stood looking at the mirror this morning. You stood there as long as it takes to make it better, didn't you? That's how long you stood in front of the mirror this morning. You stayed there as long as it took to make what you saw get better because a mirror it always requires a response right when you get up in the morning you look in the mirror you feel convicted about what you see and then you do something about what you see and see here's the interesting thing in the real world nobody gets credit for just looking in a mirror do they 
Right? If tomorrow morning, if you were to go into work and you were to just wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, say, oh, that's horrible, and go off to work anyway, and you show up at work, and you show up in your workspace, and your boss comes in and looks at you and is like, what in the world is going on? You cannot meet with clients looking like that. If you were to say to your boss, well, why not? I looked in the mirror. Your boss is going to look at you like you're crazy, right? Why? Because in the real world, we do not get credit for just looking in the mirror. And yet, for some reason, we do this in our spiritual lives and in our faith lives all the time, don't we? What are you going to actually do about that? Well, nothing. I'm just going to come back next week for another round of conviction, right? Isn't that the point? And James would say, listen, listen, if that's the pattern you find yourself in, you are deceiving yourself. It's obvious that you should do something, but you're not doing what your faith implies that you should do. Now, thankfully, James doesn't stop there, and he keeps going. He says in verse 25, but, right? So big contrast here. But whoever, so again, he's talking to all of us, but whoever, he says, looks intently, right? And the picture here that James is actually trying to communicate is you're walking along down the path, down a sidewalk, right? And you see something on the ground, and you don't just walk past it. You actually stop and you stare. Right? You, you actually fully take in what it is that you are seeing. You don't just glance by it. You actually stop until you stare and you look at it. James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Now, we're going to pause here for just a moment because in James' day, if you were to ask James, okay, what in the world do you mean by the perfect law, James? I don't understand. What are you talking about? See, the interesting thing is, is that in James' day, everybody actually knew the answer to what that question was, right? Because in James' day, if you said to somebody, okay, what is the perfect law or the greatest law or the most important law, they would all basically give you the same response. Every Jewish person, they would basically tell you, okay, that's easy. That's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. But when they asked Jesus that question, Jesus did not respond by giving them the response that they expected. Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor, Jesus said, as yourself. This, Jesus said, all the law, all the commands hang, all the prophets actually hang on these two commands. And the people there that day when Jesus said this, they were shocked because they realized that what Jesus had just done was to reduce 613 different laws, rules, and commands down to two, but he wasn't done yet. Because on the night that Jesus was crucified, on his last night here on earth, he gathered his disciples into an upper room and he said to them, a new command, a new command, I give you. I want you to love one another, Jesus said, the way that I have loved you. This is the perfect law of Jesus. You are to love one another not the way you have been loved. You are to love one another not even the way you want to be loved. No, Jesus said you are to love one another. In fact, the defining characteristic as one of my followers, Jesus would say, is that you love each other the way I, Jesus, have loved you. And then just a couple of hours after saying those words, 
Jesus was arrested and crucified to pay for every time that perfect law was broken. And remember, this is James telling us all of this. James, the brother of Jesus, who when Jesus actually spoke those words in the upper room, James believed that his own brother was either a liar or a lunatic. And yet after the resurrection, James came to realize, no, no, he is in fact my Lord. And it was in that moment that James, very personally, individually, he experienced the application of that perfect law. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, James says, which always gives freedom. See, this is why James says the the promise that actually comes from looking at the perfect law of Jesus and doing it, not just hearing it, not just knowing it, not even just memorizing it, but doing it. It always results in freedom. That James would tell us that listening and doing now, reading and doing now, will result in freedom later. And I get it. For many of us, probably all of us here together this morning, you don't believe it. Because the thing that you think of when you hear the word law, the last thing that you ever, ever, ever think about is freedom. And yet here's what so many people in this room right now could tell you. That when they began to actually do and not only hear what it is that the scriptures actually teach when it comes to the subject of money, right? That you give first, you save second, and you actually live on the rest. That what they began to experience was freedom. That for every dollar you get, you give 10 cents to God, you save 10 cents, and then you live on the rest. And right, that's easy when you're a kid and you're making a couple of bucks a week. But by the time you're making hundreds of dollars a week, that means giving God hundreds and living on a whole lot less than you would like. And that does not sound at all like freedom when you hear it. In fact, freedom sounds like the exact opposite. Freedom sounds like, okay, I'm going to live on everything I have, and if there happens to be anything left over, maybe I'll save it, and then perhaps if I see somebody who is really in need, or maybe I feel really guilty because I've got so much money, maybe then I will give some of it away. And yet the truth is, what so many people in this room right now could tell you is that when they actually began to do this and not just hear this, when they did live, give first, save second, and live on the rest, what they began to experience was freedom. And again, why do we do this? Because when we give our money away, it actually helps other people, right? And so Jesus came to this earth to give his life away for us. And he says, I want you to do for others what I have done for you. And when you actually do, and not just here, give first, save second, and live on the rest, what you experience is financial freedom. Because when you live like this, right, you don't even have to try to stay out of debt. You don't even have to work at staying out of debt. You just stay out of debt. This creates financial freedom in your life. And many of you in this room could talk about how when you not only 
heard those words, when you actually did them, that that was the result that you experienced. And the promise is the same for every single person who is here, who will not only hear these words, James would say, but would do them. Now, the same thing also applies in a whole different area of life. The same thing also applies when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, right? And when you hear about this idea of forgiveness, that somehow I am actually supposed to forgive someone who has hurt me, right? If you have ever been hurt in any significant or meaningful way by another person, and you hear somebody like me tell you that what you need to do is to forgive that other person, that does not sound like freedom. That sounds like more punishment, doesn't it? Because you're telling, me if I, you're telling me I'm supposed to let the person who took something from me, I am supposed to let them off the hook? I'm supposed to give them something? You've got to be kidding me. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like punishment. But as anyone who has ever been significantly hurt or injured by another person will tell you, that when you forgive that person, that always leads to freedom. Not freedom for them. Freedom for you. And why do we forgive? Because Jesus forgave us. Then there's this one. You're going to love this one. This is a tough one. What about this one right here? Sexual purity. Like When you're a kid, when you're an adult, Right? And you actually hear about this whole idea uh, of sexual purity? I mean, that again, that does not in any way sound like freedom. In fact, it sounds like the exact opposite of freedom. And do you understand why this whole idea, why this comes up over and over again in the scriptures, this whole idea about sexual purity it has nothing to do with getting God to like you or getting God to love you or getting God to not punish you in some way? It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with loving other people, right? Because when you practice sexual purity, right, do you know what you're doing? You're actually honoring somebody else. And you're not only honoring them, you're actually honoring every single person that person will ever be in a relationship with. By not becoming a regret, you are honoring that person and every single other person they will ever have a relationship with. And Jesus says, that is all I am asking you to do. I just want you to do for others what I have already done for you. I want you to love the way that I have loved you. And I get it. When you just hear about this whole idea of sexual purity, that does not sound like freedom. But when you not only hear, but you also do, see, there is a payoff. Right? There is a payoff. There is freedom. Because at the end of the ro- day, you know what you discover? It is, in fact, sexual purity that paves the way for future intimacy. In fact, here's what every single one of us will discover one way or the other, regardless of our age or our background. Right? It is, in fact, exclusivity that leads to romance. It is not experience. Exclusivity leads to romance Experience never leads to romance. And in a relationship where there is exclusivity and where there is also romance, there will be freedom. And see, the truth is, I could go on and on and on with the examples because James is right. And when we, right, when we actually stop and stare 
when we find our reflections and our identity, when we see ourselves in the mirror of the perfect law of Jesus, which always leads to freedom, that listening and doing now, reading and doing now, it will result in freedom later. And again, do you know why? James tells us. Because all of the stages of life are, in fact, connected. But whoever looks intently at, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And see, what James is trying to communicate to us in these words is not that what you do is going to be blessed. James is actually saying to you that you personally, individually, that you will be blessed in the doing. And the word blessed, it just simply means happy, that you will be happy, that you will be fulfilled in the doing of what it is that God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus. And James knows, right? James knows that sometimes what we hear and what we read and hear will make sense. Sometimes what we, what we read and what we hear and hear will be, seem so strange. That sometimes what it is that we read and what we hear will sound so old-fashioned and outdated. But if Jesus is asking us to do it, it is only because he's actually done it for us first. And see, as I was thinking about this particular section of Scripture today and teaching this to you this morning and how just complicated and, and convicting and heavy it can be and how big of a topic it really is, I, I was tempted to stand up here and, and tell you, you know, I have no idea what my life would be like if it wasn't for these words. The problem is I know. The problem is I know exactly what my be life would be like. Because I'm just like you. And I've got a bunch of regrets in my past. And if I'm honest, every single one of my regrets is a result of hearing and not doing, knowing and not doing, listening and not doing. I know exactly where I would be. And see, the interesting thing about this, right, is, is that, and this shouldn't surprise us at all, James' brother Jesus, he taught us the exact same thing. Only he taught it in the words of a very familiar parable when he said this. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, whoever hears and does, is like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. And when the rain came down and the streams came up and the winds blew and beat against that house, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You know what Jesus is teaching you and me by saying those very familiar words in that parable? It's that the way that you lay a foundation for your life that will not fall is not simply by hearing, it's by doing. Because when things get tough, when the rains come down, the streams rise, and the wind blows and beats against your life, your life will not fall as a follower of Jesus because your Savior, He is not simply a hearer, 
He is a doer. And when you need forgiveness, He forgives you. And when you need to be redeemed and restored and remade, He makes you pure. And what He has done for you, He did so that you would be blessed. The greatest fear each of you will ever face in your life when it comes to following Jesus is the fear that somehow in following you're going to miss out on something. And yet the longer you follow Jesus, what you will come to realize, I promise you, is that the only thing you will miss out on is pain and regret. And see, James knows Right, James knows if we try to do this on our own, we're going to forget what we look like. And so James says, take the mirror with you. Continue to look intently. Take the mirror with you. Never stop looking at the law of love, the law of Jesus, the perfect law of Jesus, because it reveals who Jesus is. And it reminds us who and whose we are. And James knows when you find your identity in who Jesus is and what he has done for you, you will be blessed. Heavenly Father, Father, as we hear these incredible words from James today, Father, words that for all of us, I think, probably leave us in one of two places. Words where we wish maybe we would have heard or known sooner. Words of regret. Maybe, Father, it's, it's words of thanksgiving, the reminder that you have steered us away from hurt and pain. And Father, my prayer very specifically this morning for the person that is here, for the people that are here, that hear these words and and feel convicted and feel as if it's hopeless. Father, I pray that the truth of your word would come through. That the reminder of your cross would be seen. That you would remind each of us, Jesus, that it is never hopeless that you died so that we could live, regardless of our pasts, regardless of our present even. That Jesus, what you give to us, what you promise to each of us, is not only forgiveness, but it is also the hope of a renewed, restored, and redeemed life. Not because we are perfect, Jesus, but because you are. And so, Jesus, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would simply remember, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd give us the faith to know that, Jesus, you really are who you say you are. And that, Jesus, you will always do what you promise that you will do. That you will give us your grace. That you will give us your forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you give to each of us the wisdom we need to know what to do with what we've just heard. All this I pray in Jesus' name.